Hello, everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion here on Bosch Rush Games. I am your host, ADV. It's so good to be back live and in color uh, in audio form, I should say, <laughs> not video form. Um, sorry, everybody, for not posting up a new episode. Uh, definitely in this crazy of times, uh, I actually have been trying to recover and people could hear past episodes. I'm sniffing, I'm coughing and I'm just like, Oh, I thought I was feeling better, but I, every time I got to talking, it just came back out to I me mean, sounding sick. So I took some time off so I could actually, uh, feel a little bit better. The weather has changed. Uh, and my body's feeling good, but you know, we're, we're all in quarantine time. And, yeah, we're going to make it through. But I have a special guest joining me. He is part of, uh, hopefully still, of Irrational Passions. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Everybody, uh, if you know Jared Green, everybody has heard me and him talk on this show. And I, I, I completely love him. He is, like, so good. But I had to actually dig deeper because irrational passion has a great amazing team so i had to get this special guest on it everybody please welcome george cruz alvarez hello there everybody good afternoon coming to you live from the airwaves this is george hey edward thank you for having me on the show thank you for coming on you're welcome uh so if anyone has seen the topic uh it's called who needed who and we're going to be talking about uh People, places, and things, <laughs> like it sounds like a noun, of who needed this person in order to become something. Uh, but before we get into that, George, could you give us a little bit of your gaming history? Sure. So, hi, everybody. I'm George. I, like Edward mentioned, I work for Rational Passions. I'm sort of the social media editor uh, and senior editor. I've been there since late 2016. Um, I've been playing video games since probably as early as I can remember. Uh, Super Nintendo, Genesis, that's where my first consoles. I was a big fan of Mortal Kombat back in the day. Even though Somehow I, I lost the love of fighting games. I still respect them. I always will because they were such a huge part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I sort of uh, – I think I grew as a – I consider myself sort of a – it's weird. I write about video games, right? So there's obviously uh, a critical distance you have there. Um, very much grew – as a fan, and then once you start writing, I think you become a little bit more cynical as you get that critical eye. If you've listened to Jerry Green, uh, he's certainly <laughs> a man who keeps himself very uh, metered. I guess I'll describe him. He's very, he's very uh, on the up and up. Um, he certainly would have things to say about E3 and the needing for it in terms of uh, the the hype cycle, as it were. Um, yes. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, some of my favorite video games of all time, I would say Persona 4 Golden. Uh, Resident really? Evil 2, the original. Yes, Persona 4 Golden is my favorite video game of all time. Uh, Near Automata, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Resident Evil 4. Off the top of my head, those are some of my favorites. Uh, of this generation, I would say some of my favorite video games have been Doom 2016, uh, Bloodborne, Near Automata, obviously, because <laughs> it was on that list. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a real quick, uh, shotgun blast about me. Awesome. It's weird that you mentioned Near Automata. Uh I I was so hyped about it and then it kind of like like 
literally drained away like it was falling behind it's like okay it's a good game i appreciate the music i understand what the concept is but it's i don't know i think it was what excites me more about near automata is that someone at platinum worked at treasure games or incorporated in that game and then everything else is just like this is basic platinum which is fine um which I like, but I'm just like I'm more interested in the shooting parts. And if people yeah, can make a like a treasure style game, I will automatically buy it. <laughs> like, That's not a bad idea. That would be good. They certainly have the they certainly can fill the style department and can clearly uh, have the mechanics down as well. That would that's not a bad idea. Like, That'd be cool. Like when you started the game off, what did you just like? Wait, this is something that feels like treasure. This is something that's not <laughs> planned at all. Like it's not Square Enix. Yeah. So, but awesome. We're going to get into the show. Uh, so we're going to start off with the first one of who needed who. Uh, Randy Pitchford needs Gearbox. Um, and the reason, some of the reasons why he needs them is that he makes his fame and wealth off of them. Um, he's able to be the new Cliff Blazinski. Um, he knows that Borderlands is the company's GTA. And if he left Gearbox, most consumers and players would be happy. Um, but do you agree with those things or do you have another take on it? So, yeah, it's tough talking about Randy Pitchford as somebody who hopes to maybe one day have a job in the games industry, right? Like, you always have to be careful about who you're talking about. But it feels like we've reached a point with the personality that is also the leadership behind this massive company that is Gearbox that it seems hard to ignore how self-destructive he behaves and... Just in terms, just like socially, just like talking to people, just the way he interacts with people, and then the very questionable business decisions uh, in terms of how he does business and how he treats his employees. Um, and so for me, it, it's it's been hard to reckon with. Like the point I'm trying to say is like at a certain point, a person reaches a point, crosses a line where it no longer becomes questionable or controversial to speak ill of them and i think certainly when the litigation of him maybe having child pornography on his us on the usb drive that certainly was the line but then that but when with legal litigation you know you try to make each person look as worse as possible to sort of make your case the best so the all those proceedings got swept away and we'll never know unless somebody investigates and just lets it out and then Randy Pitchford sues the shit out of them. Um so it's interesting like does Randy Pitchford need to step away from the company that he built making Half-Life expansions? Um does Randy Pitchford need Gearbox? I don't I think like most leaders that who have uh it certainly seems that he has m- sort of misused his power to benefit himself, specifically with the latest report that um, the way that Borderlands 3 production was handled, they wound up not... Employees didn't wind up getting uh, a fair share in that they are... Gearbox, from what I understand, is a company that in the industry-wide, they don't pay as much, but 
all the empl- employees have a stake in the game and get a bonus yeah. Uh, a big bonus depending on how well it does and that did not because of the decisions they made in the production of Borderlands 3 that wound up not being the case and employees are getting stiffed and they're getting stiffed without really any notice and, um, well because the thing about it is that you know that story broke and then you see the Nintendo Direct where Borderlands collection is coming to Switch which I was just like, well, A, it's already late. Don't nobody really, I, I don't think many people are going to buy it because they already got their feel. And B, they don't want to support Gearbox because of Randy Pitchford. Even though some people will, um, it, it, it amazes me to be like, you're, you're a whole year and a half late. When you was doing that showboating on the stage about Borderlands 3 and everything, that's when you should have brought this game out for Switch. And it's so- interesting. It's especially interesting you make that point, Edward, that a problem that you think that Gearbox certainly doesn't seem like they need Randy Pitchford. So does Randy Pitchford need Gearbox? I think Randy Pitchford benefits the most out of being at Gearbox. I don't think Gearbox benefits by having association with Randy Pitchford. Yeah. Because to your point, to your point of the the sort of bad PR Gearbox has recently gotten into the publishing business, which means they are working with smaller developers, sort of risk of rain too, um, and putting the game out there. And now it's, I have to imagine, it's not great. You, the developers, risk of rain too. You're excited working with Gearbox because of their resources and their sort of the, their huge name in the industry. But now you have Randy Pitchford out here acting a clown. And that can't feel great, right? Like at a certain point, that's got to be bad for business, yes. right? And even though they're into the published thing, they're publishing indie stuff. They're not publishing second party or other third party work. Like I don't see Gearbox publishing a Sega game or something, or I don't see them publishing uh, the next Platinum game or something. You know, they're publishing small stuff, and it and it's kind of hard to be like. We know that Gearbox is a great company for the employees, but you because you got this toxic person connected to you, we're forced to support you guys because you produce one of the games that we love. It's the same thing with Activision. You guys are connected to some things that we don't like, but because you guys create one of our, the a great franchise that we love, we support that company. Um, regardless of they do the ups and downs, you know, because you, your company is connected to Blizzard and we know their whole situation because while it's still such a big thing, we need to support them so we could continue to play more while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I don't know. I think for this topic, it's like, I think... I think it's clear that I think Randy Pitch Randy Pitchford like in the big picture mm-hmm. does Randy Pitchford need to be at the helm of of Gearbox in order for him to survive financially? Absolutely not. Randy Pitchford can leave the company and take his money and do whatever he wants. Maybe blow it on some crazy magic emporium that loses all its money or is very successful. I have no clue. Well, uh, my question is: Has he ever been a developer? Like, what has he created himself that we know of? Like, I've From never I... heard any developer stories about Randy Pitchford. All I know so, is like... that he built, or him and four other people, or five other people, 
came together to make Gearbox. But I'm like, what did you create? Like, did you make did you make a original indie game that we know that that's created connected to you to make uh to help you make Gearbox? So I'm gonna go on Moby Games right now. They're usually the best source, I think, for very old things. But obviously, Gearbox became to rose to the heights it was. It started humble beginnings as a support studio, uh, and so I'm not sure if Rand, how what's Randy's involvement in sort of those Half Life expansions and uh, those ports of Half Life they made as well. So I can't speak there. I know. They, they worked on the Halo PC version, if I remember correctly, as well. So I don't know, but I'm gonna look this up while I'm speaking. But I think for this topic, in the big, like I was saying, the big picture, does Randy Pitchford need Gearbox? No, he doesn't need it. Uh, does Randy Pitchford need Gearbox in terms of this character that he's built? That's something for him to figure out. Like when you mentioned Cliff Blazinski, and I don't really have much of a, I don't really care about the career of Cliff Blazinski. I have no ill will towards him. But they have us, they have a connection here. And I don't know if this is what you meant. They have this cult of personality yes. uh, in terms of games. And I think Randy Pitchford needs Gearbox in terms of that. When Cliff Blazinski, when things didn't work out with Bosky Studios, he just exited the industry. Um, so, and then maybe that's what Randy Pitchford needs to do now, I think. And and the difference between Randy Pitchford and Clip Blazinski is that Clip Blazinski could program. He could make games. Right, yes, yes. The problem with him, though, with his show Burn Aways is that he can't make nothing else. So, Clip Blazinski can't make any other game but side shooters. Like, he can't make a role-playing game. He can't make a platform or Mario game. Well, I should say Mega Man game. Like, he can't go out hit the rim of only doing shooters and thinking that a simple concept, it should be always be the design. That's that's Cliff Brzezinski. But Randy Pitchford is just that, you know, he wants to be in the spotlight. And his his talent to me, like I said earlier, is showboating. It's really trying to hype up and really say that, you know, uh, really put the product out. And if the product is good, it makes him look good. And so if Gearbox started putting out bad product and everything, you see Randy Pitchford, Randy Pitchford won't put his face out. And I think he needs Gearbox to put out, he needs Gearbox to put out high twi- high quality, high quality games out. So that his face could be out and everybody could somewhat worship him, quote unquote, um, for allowing his company to make this high quality product. And so maybe a cap to this part of our conversation. Uh, It appears that Randy Pitchford was a map designer on some of the Duke Nukem 3D expansion packs uh, and obviously a level designer on those Half-Life expansions uh and i think like one of the last it says he did he worked on the shadow warrior remake but i don't know if that's because maybe the original shadow warrior is within the game and so he's credited there mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know i i does randy pitch trading gearbox i think he needs it maybe more for his ego but certainly not financially i don't know well we're gonna move on to the next one uh people need review score numbers um and they need them uh, some points I put uh, to argue which game is better not to make purchases based on it use it as evidence to uh, win a debate W-I-N sorry for that uh, <laughs> I somehow 
put the wrong win on it, uh, shows the lack of reading the contents. So what are your thoughts? I think I disagree that people need review scores for this one. I think I think it's clear that websites need review scores more than people do. Oh, okay. Okay. So like do people as a video game as a product, as a product you buy in a store shelf, people probably need review scores for that, right? But um it's weird because we are at this point with video games that uh we are we with their audiences looking for just product reviews and there are people looking for criticism, right? Like critique. Yes. Um and I think as someone who does writing and I'm not I'm not this isn't me fucking flaunting myself as like the review format can sometimes uh the review format can be anything, but it could also be very constrained, right? Because many of the folks who are looking for that product review want you to break down that game into its elements and then come to a conclusion and here's a score. And then, or it could be anything really. I could talk, I could focus on one thing about this game and then maybe give a score at the end or just not give a score at all, right? Uh, and so when which I look at like the. A prob- which was, that was a problem because people complained that when exactly. games start getting scores, they complained that we need a score for this. And it, it kind of showcased that did you, did you need the score number? Or and, and that's why I put uh, shows the lack of reading the contents. Is that if 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 companies and journalists didn't need scores and they put out this context, then people who are reading the reading it should be able to form their own uh, number or own opinion or judgment to be like, okay, I should get this game or I shouldn't or I should wait for a sale, and no number should decide that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. We have this constant push and pull, right? Of like mm-hmm. different folks who want things. So, do people need rev- the rev- review score number? It's hard because again, uh, I'm gonna say yes, but I think ultimately publications need them more. Um, well, let me put it. Let me put it to you like this: because Metacritic has become a big thing now, and we have people. Um, trying to post their own score to bring a game down. You know, uh, uh, what was it? A score bombing or something like that? Yes, um, we see that with uh, user reviews, like stuff like Kunai just got ripped. Yeah, so if Metacritic wasn't able to go by scores and go by, um, like if you actually read it and stuff, um, and they only and they were just like this is a positive because there's been more positive reviews or just been a lot of negative reviews. If they didn't have that, Metacritic wouldn't kind of make sense to be around because a lot of people go to Metacritic first before they go to individual websites. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I think that's why I feel like I put not to make a purchase based on it. Like, if they see a score, for them, that score doesn't help them make a purchase. Because if if that was the case, a lot of games, even on Wii U, a lot of games on, like, Wii U should have been brought. But because that score, even though it was high, and it's not to say that people didn't have the system or anything, but, like, games on Wii U should have sold better because they had a great score. Right. Right. 
because yeah, that's like that was around the time where like the Wii U, the console wasn't doing great, but I think Nintendo was at the peak of their development power. I feel like I love the Wii U and the games on that platform. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough, and it feels like every like it feels like every six months we have new people getting into the video game discussion online, mm-hmm. and they're just for the first time ever confused as to like well you gave street fight super street fighter 4 a lower score than street fighter 4 does that mean super street fighter 4 is worse than street fighter 4 no it's just it's inherent because it is an it is a sort of uh, addition to that game it is inherently less impressive because of ah it's so i would honestly obviously me i would love to get rid of review scores just because it would end the discourse um but yeah i think it, it it's multifaceted that um, I think scores are unnecessary evil and not even it's hard it's hard for me to say that I say that because it is frustrating to see like you mentioned that people don't read reviews and just start picking fights for no reason mm-hmm. but I understand the complete value uh, for someone who isn't as entrenched in video games to just want to know is this game a good purchase is that that's all I'm looking for is this game a good purchase and sometimes that score can help you out so I would say people need scores, but I would also say I, I would end that I think websites need them more monetarily. Um, well, why do you think they need review scores to argue, like community-wise, to argue against each another gamer or something? Why do you think they need that score to showcase that this game is better than this other game? I so so when I say that I'm just talking about like the most layman person like I buy like five games a year, four three games a year like I just I saw this commercial for a game I saw a commercial for Doom Eternal I didn't even know there was another Doom before that maybe right I just thought that oh wow Doom's back that's cool uh and I just took in Doom Eternal review and I just look at the score maybe I maybe I read it right that's I don't want to paint that these people are also not reading reviews they probably are they might be more susceptible to read a review than uh, the people who are like are just being rude online so who knows um but I think that person needs a review score more than uh uh, obviously people need review scores if they want to start shit, if they want to start a fight. But also, like we mentioned with Metacritic, right? Yes. People could just make up their own scores. Yeah. People could just, and then just start fights on that for all day and all night. So we will always fight. Uh, there will always be conflict within the human race, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I think when I say people need review scores, I, I'm thinking about like, the most non-gamer person, like the person who's coming to Final Fantasy VII Remake back and they haven't played a video game since the original Final Fantasy VII, maybe. Like, because everybody's just like, okay, this is 10-10 and this game is perfect. And I have nothing against Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I can say that because I have, I played the original. I am waiting for hopefully the full game to come out. It, it may cause some upset if it wins game of the year. Because uh, some people might not feel like that game is worth the score. Um, even though the high production and delays might say otherwise. You know what I mean? So, cause, sure. Because it's just like Final Fantasy got all this production, but our timeline, and I don't know if this has been happening to you, but our at this time, my timeline is just like, oh, the game of the year is definitely Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons. 
because <laughs> everybody's playing Animal Crossing. Regardless of who you are, people bought a Switch to play Animal Crossing. They're talking about, I need to come to your town to buy, to get turnips. You know, yeah. everybody had their fun with Animal Crossing. I mean, everybody had their fun with Final Fantasy VII. It's just like, do not spoil anything. And that's it. And then they return back to Animal Crossing. So it's just like, Final Fantasy had, I think Final Fantasy probably had a higher score than Animal Crossing. But in reality, more people are playing Animal Crossing than Final Fantasy VII. Sure, and I think that's sort of um, you see that because Final, uh, Animal Crossing is is a, it's very much a game you come back to because mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a linear game with a beginning and an end. Well, there is you can roll credits in Animal Crossing, but you kind of choose when to be done with it, right? Yes. Like I kind of my meta my meta in mind time with Animal Crossing is done because I will keep on checking in on it, but I am not the kind of person to go. I'm, I have no interest in buying, and buying turnips and. Doing all this nonsense, I have no interesting in mid-maxing. I am just like, I'm kind of chilling. I'm just gonna. It's just always gonna be there, and I will keep keep on uh, checking in on it. But like like you mentioned, like the score, because so what you're saying is that we're gonna maybe see a conflict that we have this video game that get that has gotten these ten out of tens from some publications, mm-hmm. um, and it is not going to win. Or maybe it does win Game of the Year from that publication. Um, but it's clear that – well, I don't know. It's weird because at, at that point, I'm just hype- – it's just people making crazy theory craft. Yeah. Like, oh, you gave, you nostalgic for like – I think Timor – who reviewed Final Fantasy Seven for GameSpot? Because they gave it a 10, right? Was it Timor, I think? I think so, yeah. Um, and I haven't read his review. Uh, but obviously, he feels very passionately about that game. Um well, he 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 got Sekiro through last time. Will he get it through this time? I don't know. And I honestly don't really care uh, about Game of the Year stuff, apart from Irrational Passion's Game of the Year, um, <laughs> because I'm in those trenches and I'm in those debates. Oh, um, you guys have a lot. And, and so that's what I'm saying, right? Like, as someone who's seen the process, it's not we the score doesn't matter at all, really. Like, it's about like what do those people feel? Yeah. And if there are people out on the internet who think it's some sort of giant math equation. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Like, it, it's... What, what, what was yeah. uh, IP's game of the year last year? Last year, uh, for our editorial team, it was uh, Control. Really? And then Control, though, was a high-scoring game, though. So that just worked out, right? It was okay, it was just a high-scoring... conversation on hold. <laughs> because I think Control doesn't deserve game of the year at all. It's got some. I, I was the promise person who was like, and that's the other thing, right? Like, it's a, it's seven people. It's like seven people in a room, mm-hmm. and they just argue, and then at some point, one will gives out, and then the other person wins. But with control, is like I have issues with control today. Like, I think the performance is is kind of disappointing. I think the checkpointing is really bad. I think that game has a very slow start and should start you with levitation from the get go. I have all these problems. But at the end of the day, there are people who feel uh, – the things I feel very positive about Control as well. I think the world is some of the best world building I've seen this generation. I think it is phenomenal. It's incredible. This, this uh, is the thing. Brimley is Brimley told a great story with Control. Yes. Visually, it looks impressive. Love oh, the yeah. visuals. The technical process brings this whole thing down. And because of that happening, it makes it feel that 
definitely, we know that you guys use your own money, but you really didn't Q&A this game. Like, you really didn't Q&A test this game. There There should be no reason why this game have long load times that it freezes after you press that it freezes after you press start but if you doing the uh like the select button and you go back into the game it just works like that that doesn't make sense um sometimes the camera gets all wobbly and, and everything and it's just like this is the problem with remedy yes you guys had some of microsoft money to make quantum break but quantum break is a better game to control i haven't played quantum break but i, I so i can't speak to that but i know a lot of people would disagree because a lot of people dislike quantum break quantum very break, let me t- let me tell you Quantum Break was Quantum Break is probably Remedy's best game with Control falling second. The problems in Alan Wake showcase why Remedy Re, Alan Wake showcases why Remedy should should have just worked with Nintendo on the game. Like I really feel like Remedy and Nintendo making Eternal Darkness two, and and Nintendo correcting a lot of their problems to make a better quality game. And then they could go out and continue to publish and make their own games. I think that's kind of what needs to happen because sometimes they do the Naughty Dog thing where they like to drag stuff out. Sometimes they have good ideas, but the execution is not right. It's not good. And it feels like their designers are playing the game. And because their designers are used to it, they don't think about the public who comes in and play their games. Hmm. And so I will. Oh, go ahead. I will say that I think I, 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 I and I try to check myself often as, as somebody who writes things and says definitive opinions mm-hmm. on the Internet. I try to think outside like, OK, try not to think like of the. I try not to describe what I think what, what we had with control was they were using their and they're using their modified engine, um, and at a certain point they realized that it they they maybe worked themselves into a corner that this is not going to run well on these consoles, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously on PC that game looks incredible, it runs phenom- fantastically, yes. um, and on consoles it certainly does. I played it on Pro, and so I still had issues. That map certainly would not load when I first hit that button, um, which is unfortunate. And they, um, and they have experience. They have designed Quantum Break is a Microsoft game. So why are you not able to get the Microsoft performance even up to snuff? So yeah, so I don't know. Like I can't say it's weird. I don't know. But it, I, even as somebody who like, if we're just on this control tangent, as somebody like, I had those issues. It's like yeah, I didn't find them as as game breaking mm-hmm. as maybe you did. Uh, and the thing that I walked out of that game was the style and the the story uh, of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And Mike, I think Mike reviewed that game. I think it was you know, he has a PS4 Pro as well. So, but he, I remember him telling us that he was over the moon about that game. But he was like, "This game uh, does not run great." <laughs> and and, uh, and and I, that's the. I think that was my problem with it. It's just that. There's so many technical problems with this game that bring the enjoyment down. Trying to balance that and say that 
trying to balance that and say, hey, this is game of the year. We should just go ahead and give it to it because even though I overlooked the technical problems, what it gave me is high enough to be is is high enough to where it should you know have that status of game of the year where here you got something like astro chain you got something like fire emblem you got links awakening you got damon x machina you got all of these other games that are on the nintendo platform and it's just like well it's nintendo it's good quality that's enough they don't it doesn't deserve it but it's just like And I I guess that's when the talk about a game kind of lasts long. And why I mentioned Final Fantasy VII versus kind of Animal Crossing. Where people are talking more about Animal Crossing. And people who got their feel of Final Fantasy VII, that was it. But Final Fantasy would be recognized more as a game of the year. Though you continue as a player, been playing Animal Crossing throughout the year. Where... I mean, I think I think Animal Crossing is gonna win some more Game of the Year awards than Final Fantasy VII. If if you, if you're thinking if we're playing like who do we predict is gonna win more Game of the Year awards? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's gonna be Animal. I think. Well, that's interesting. I'm excited to see all the discourse. I have not played Final Fantasy VII. I have not played Final Fantasy VII remake. I've talked to Alex O'Neill last night about Final Fantasy VII remake and his thoughts on it, and he has very strong negative thoughts about that game that I could see being perpetuated throughout the industry mm-hmm. and throughout people. And I haven't seen people talk about this because they don't want to spoil it. Uh, so and, it'll be interesting to and, see, regardless. And this, and this is the thing, because when it comes to the Game Awards show, Final Fantasy VII is definitely going to be on that list. None of Nintendo stuff will be. And it's very weird. Nintendo could deliver a lot of great experiences and games and sales and people are buying them, talking about them must and must. Like, people are still... people. Even after Fire Emblem came out, people were still talking about that game for months. And all, and going back and saying, I'm going to play somebody, something else. But Fire Emblem, for a lot of places, for a lot of reasons, didn't win Game of the Year. And it's very, it's very weird. You know. I think it's I think it's only weird because at the at the I think maybe maybe these game awards are it's, look at the pool of people that choose the games mm-hmm. um, because they they are a lot of press people so it's like okay how many people did did more people okay from the bottom did more people play the out in the games industry play the outer worlds than Fire Emblem Three Houses. Uh, that's a question you have to ask yourself from the get-go because if just from that moment, they can't even have the conversation of which game is better because they didn't play Fire Emblem Three Houses. And for, that's for whatever reason, right? Like, I don't, that could be like time, that could be taste, that could be, maybe they don't like Nintendo games, so that could be whatever. Um, so like, that's like the thing there. And then for, if they did play Fire Emblem, then we can have that conversation there. And then I haven't played the Outer Worlds or Fire Emblem, so I can't help in that hypothetical. But um, I don't think I don't think it, if you're saying like is it possible that we can theory craft that there is this axe to grind on Nintendo? I don't. I disagree with that. If we well, want to do that, it's, it's more. And I know a lot of people who know me be like, "Well, he's a Nintendo fan. He's biased to everything." No, it's it's not that. It's just that when you see a lot of Nintendo stuff come out and people are continually talking about games from Nintendo and the quality. And other games don't get talked about. Like, Control came out, and who was really talking about Control after it came out? Pretty much not no one until the Game Awards. 
when even Call of Duty Modern Warfare came out, who was pretty much talking about that? Not so much that not 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 that many people. It was just like Luigi's Mansion Three, Link's Awakening, Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, I mean, uh, Twelve on Switch. People were talking about, and it was just like all of this stuff that's on Nintendo gets ignored. Even though people are talking about it and buying systems and game for these games to play on it, people laughed at The Witcher Three, and it now it my friend told me it sold close to a million. People were showing their Witcher Three and their Switches when they bought this game, the one that people laughed at. You know, so it, it's kind of just like. The, I should I should phrase it like this. Do you think people who are looking at games and talking about them, playing them for a long time, do you think they uh those should be denominated games than just ones that get uh a higher score? Sorry, so can you rephrase that question oh. again? So I think I got it. Um, do you think people who who talk about a game on a consistent basis and everything uh-huh. who really has a social media presence. Do you think those should be the games nominated than something that just get a high score? I think so. Again, I don't think it is score alone that gets a game nominated. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is a conversation of what makes the cut. Uh, in terms of like the people in this room, the people in this, or the people in this panel. Like who? Like what are the games that they consistently said that should be on this list? Uh, that's how you get to the qualifying. If you were to say, if you were to, if you were to somehow like look at Twitter analytics, Facebook analytics, all these analytics, and then rank what were the games that were in the most conversation, you would have your nominees by the people, right? And maybe yes. that is a way. But then we get to the point, like, well, now we have to choose. Okay. Who here played Luigi's Mansion? Two people played Luigi's Mansion. Okay. Who here played The Outer Worlds or Sekiro or whatever? Four people played it. Okay, so more people played it than that. And now you have X amount of people more who are able to fight for that. Like, it is about, at the end of the day, it is about the people in the room who can fight for that video game. What do you you think that that should change? Uh, Like, for for Irrational Passion, for example, because even this happens even at Boss Rush. Um, I, I think I I, I, th- I guess I try to fight for okay. We need to have a game from Nintendo, one game from Nintendo, one game from Microsoft, one game from Sony, one game from PC, one indie, one third. So six games, and we need to choose which is the best out of those, and those are the straight nominees of it. Is that your process? I'm. I try to get that as the process, not for our dedicated shows, but more for. Uh, I mean, we do a, a kind of a point scale, like when we uh, have we make a list and we make a point scale and we tell our personal ones. But if we had to actually make a official game and stuff. We will look at what are the be- what is that one best game that represents that system for that year or that company for that year, and do you think it has a chance to win or not win? Like, like if 
So I think last year I would have put Final Fantasy, not Final Fantasy Seven. I would have put um, Fire Emblem Three Houses versus uh, Gears Five versus um, I guess oh, Concrete Genie. Uh, I would have put because I think that was the probably maybe one of the best PS4 games of last year. I, it's really hard to argue what really came out last year. Um, where uh, Disco Elysium for PC. Uh, I'm trying to think of what was a big name indie game. Uh, <clears throat> I have to think of the uh, indie game, and then a third party game. Hmm. Pro- I think a third party game probably would have been. Um, hmm. So all of this is to say is that it appears that you're thinking of a system that is representative of platform. A game that a plat- represents the whole platform. So only uh, one game for Nintendo and one so, game for like one game for each. So it could so be So that like, stuff so that stuff I I disagree with because it's like like, like going back to the because it's just like who cares about platform? Who gives it who gives, I don't care. Like who cares? Like it's just games. Like we're we're video games without borders. Who gives a shit? More, more, uh, more for nominations. Is what I'm saying. Uh, it's just more for nomination. So I think I think the problem, like, I think the only way you can have this conversation of like, let's grab the the conversation data and then find that's how we get our nominees, and then our judges decide who are the games are. That can only work for whoever the biggest video game body, which I guess is the Game Awards in this conversation, right? Like irrational passions. That makes no goddamn sense because why would you? Why, you would have these games, right? That like Fire Emblem Three Houses. Okay. Scott played Fire Emblem Three Houses. Mike, did you play Fire Emblem Three Houses? No. Quinn, did you play Fire Emblem Three Houses? No. Alex, did you play Fire Emblem Three Houses? Oh, you did. Okay, cool. George, did you play Fire Emblem Three Houses? No. Jared, did you play Fire Emblem Three Houses? No. Okay. Why is this game nominated? Well, it's not going to win, so it's gone. Um, I think like you have to have. I think for like the Game Awards, it, I think it could work to have that system where you have the analytics of social media and conversation mm-hmm. to be your nominees. But if you if the judges still at the end of the day, the judges now choose the nominees. If the judges still have not played those games, then if it's an honor to be nominated, right? It's an honor to be nominated, and so maybe that's what we that's what we're, that's what we're trying to reach, right? We're trying to make the nominations mean something by having them represent the conversation that people are having, and so maybe that makes nominations more meaningful. But certainly, those games are not going to be. Win, they're not going to win, and then maybe it doesn't matter. None of this matters, really, right? Yes. None of this matters at the end of the day. But maybe that makes nominations, um, yeah. But then at the end of the day, well, let's say Valorant came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and let's say Valorant becomes the big thing that it sure seems like it's going to be. Then Valorant would be on that list. Then Call of Duty Warzone, would, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be on that list, but yes. those are the most popular video games right now, right? And I can guarantee you that that dwarfs the audience for an astral chain that dwarfs the audience for a dragon quest uh echoes of an elusive age which is a game that came out before but you know whatever um point being i don't think that's i don't think that works but we've gotten off tangent <laughs> no that's that's actual opinion that's uh in, in a sense that's kind of almost like a who needs who does 
do game award do game awards or need nominations uh that people agree on or disagree on like you know that that's kind of fitting but we're gonna move on because i know you you're ready to get to the e3 one because i know you got words but uh we're gonna jump into this one uh microsoft slash sony needs nintendo's business um the consistent sales of games at release prices other businesses nintendo's nintendo have been successful at and having games that people will rebuy and make money. Uh, seeing what it does when it's down, how they bounce back. So, um, hmm. so Sony had a downtime, downtime with PS3. Microsoft had a downtime with Xbox. Nintendo has had a downtime with GameCube, Wii, and Wii U. But for a lot of things, all of that turned around. Definitely for Nintendo. Um, people laughed at Nintendo with the Nintendo Direct when they took it away, uh, when they wasn't doing press conference. And now people hunger and fiend for a Nintendo Direct. And it, everybody tuned in and it was like, it, it was just like, it was feeding our souls in a sense, our gaming souls in a sense. Um, Nintendo could sell Mario Kart at $60 and you will see it on the list. Sony and Microsoft sometimes have to, they'll put their game out, but like over time they'll discount their first party games. You know, Nintendo right now, uh, they got different businesses, Japan, definitely with Disney, uh, think universal. Um, but they got the Lego set. They got, um, like other, they got other stuff, um, like game board and candy and stuff like that. And you don't really see much of that with Sony and Microsoft. Um, besides some, maybe some pops, uh, and other toys and stuff. Um, but you got like a Mario Kart 8, like RC control set, you know, hot, Martin Nintendo did Hot Wheels, uh, you know, and things. And it and it's just like, as much as people yell at Nintendo for putting a game out that they got to rebuy, people will do it. Like, people will buy Wind Worker HD if it comes to Switch. So, hmm. Does, I, think, I think the industry... So, I will just say that I think the industry as a whole mm-hmm. needs Microsoft and uh, Sony. Um, I think as a business... Is it so? It's obvious. It's it's fascinating. I think that Nintendo keeps their video games at a price. Uh, uh, is it? It's fascinating. Is it? Is it smart business? Probably. I mean, it sure seems like it's working out very well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, do I like it? Not really. I don't love it. I don't love that we have to have. There's that hard drive article that people that uh, Ninten- the entire like is like something like Nintendo organization holds a long meeting to decide if the company can withstand lowering the price of Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze below $40. Um, I think it's I think uh, I think the industry needs Nintendo but I don't some of their their business decisions are fascinating um, but I don't know if we I don't know if Microsoft Sony needs Nintendo in terms of business practice like that like is that something that we should follow? Is it should we keep Death Stranding at sixty dollars for ever? I don't think so necessarily. 
Um, but obviously, I think we all need, like, every everyone in video games needs Nintendo because Nintendo keeps people on their toes. Nintendo, uh, in terms of design, in terms of innovation, in terms of trying something outside of the box, no one does that like Nintendo. Um, Ring Fit Adventure, a thing I fucking laughed at when it came out, and now I love it. Again, it, that won one of our awards at, at our last year's Game of the Year stuff. Um, I pushed for that game because I think that game is so innovative, and I think it's only innovative because of all these things Nintendo has done. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and they certainly do have the. I think Nintendo certainly has the IP and the 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 brand power. The record, like the character, when you hear Nintendo, you see those characters, and so that's why they make those deals with Universal because nobody, no one else has in the video game sphere, I think, has the 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 roster of IP that Nintendo does to make, like, hey, I like Kratos too, but I don't know, is Kratos that is as a property in terms of mainstream property is a Kratos. I don't know, maybe not. I think a lot, Last of Us is they're doing an HBO show, right? So yes. we'll see how that goes for them. Um, but Illumination Mario movie, whenever we can go watch movies again, is going to make a killing. Um, uh, and yeah, I don't know. So does Microsoft need Nintendo as a business? I would say absolutely. I think, uh, in whatever reality that Nintendo is, uh, in a situation that is lesser, that they can make those big moves, Mm -hmm. um, I think they are a little too, they are, they take big moves, but at the same time, they are very frugal. They are like a fucking, they're fucking like my grandma who refuses to spend a nickel more or whatever the hell or tip someone or whatever the fuck. Because again, we do not need to be spend, spend, uh, selling, uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze at $50. We do not need to be selling Tokyo, we do not need to be selling in the year of our Lord 2019 New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe at 60 goddamn dollars. That's highway robbery. And um, people will pay it. Because the the people will pay because of the heart of the collector. Sure, but at the same time, like let's look at video games as less than a business as as culture, right? Mm-hmm. Is it fair? Okay, so let's like, is it reasonable to ask the consumer to pay that and to enjoy this game? Which I think New Super Mario Bros. is a fantastic video game. Love that game. It's a great game. Uh, it's, uh, it's the, old, the first Mario game I ever beat because I'm not a big, I wasn't big a Nintendo guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a Wii U and I got that. Like, is it reasonable to ask a consumer and a, that has a child and they want video games and maybe needs a Mario game to spend $60 on that game? Uh, in terms of like, like I could, like I could charge just because a landlord can charge X amount of rent in San Francisco because rent is so fucking ridiculous and property is so ridiculous. Doesn't make it, Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know. I take umbrage sometimes with their very, but Nintendo as a, a company, they are they clearly have great culture and they have wonderful IP. But when it comes to the bottom dollar, it's just like Jesus Christ, guys, come on, you can ease up a little bit. So it makes good business sense, I guess. But I don't know. I think it's I, I would prefer. I like that Sony understands that they are first party games they already made that investment in they already made that invest like who cares like here's concrete genie at fucking ten dollars like just like i prefer like the entertainment be more accessible i guess is what i'm saying so uh in a business it probably makes sense sure but i don't know so yes i would say they need the nintendo and i think we all need nintendo as a as a as a medium i think yeah totally 
it's more of having their business like being like you said being recognizable at universal and stuff and just all the things that the businesses that nintendo has done has put out there microsoft and sony kind of need that to i mean even though sony is have their own business and sound and with movies and stuff but we have seen that those haven't been up to snuff like their playstation brand has Microsoft definitely is a big business with their hardware and their software, definitely with Windows 10 and everything. But when it comes to the gaming gaming sphere, you know, yes, you are making money on you are making money on Game Pass, but in a sense if you look at it, you're still like somewhat renting games. You don't fully own those games because if you stop paying for Game Pass, you don't have uh, access to those games anymore. And if no one is rushing out to get your first party games uh, digitally or physically, then what does that say about your business in a sense? You're you're offering a great business deal, but that business right there is connected to uh it's connected to a fine line like because i if 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 xbl go down you can't do game pass uh to download like the latest game or that you need or if you're not thinking about it and you're just paying your ten dollars you want to go on there and you want to play ashen oop ashen got taken off so now you're forced to pay for the game or Pray that there is a Games with Gold release of that game. And also, mm-hmm. a lot of the games on Game Pass are older games, besides some of the indies and first party. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, people are going to play uh, Streets of Rage 4, but more people have done the physical of limited run games and probably going to be buying the game on Switch. Where if you really, if you just really want to test it out and don't really care about it, you'll play it on Game Pass when it comes out. That's true, and I've had, I've seen that sentiment for sure. But I uh, so a big thing that that held me back from buying a Switch was that I'm a person I play, dude. I I I, I pop in like 15 minutes of it. I, I was just talking to the folks out in the Russian Passion Slack, like, what video game will I play for 15 minutes today? Uh, randomly. I was like, I-, I feel like playing Halo for the original Xbox. I might pop that in today. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, haha, video game, am I right? Uh, so that's to say that I like having, I like experiencing a lot at once. And the thing that caught me from buying a Nintendo Switch is that the investment to get that Nintendo, the true Nintendo experience of owning a Switch is spending like $180 on video games, like all at once, like, because all their video games are like $50, $60, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm buying a Switch. I want to play Mario Kart. That's $60. Well, I want a Mario game. That's another $60, so you're at $120. Uh, that Zelda game, I've heard it's, it's incredible. I've heard so many great things. Okay, well, that's another $60. So that console has just got, like, getting the experience of the brand that is Nintendo in that platform yes. is so expensive. And I think that's crazy, especially like but, when you have... But yet the caveat to that is that you could take it with you on the go. So even though you're getting... That's a high price for you getting that experience at home. If you're on the go, you get to continue that experience. 
Sure, but that that doesn't that that doesn't make it any cheaper. Is what I'm saying. Like, as somebody who has been with parents who are yeah. buying switches for their, their 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 children, they have a very hard budget, and yeah. so it's like, well, they should have a variety of games. I don't want them to just have one game. So uh, let's just go Mario Odyssey and Mario Kart. That's fair, and, and even then, it's 120 dollars. So. Lazy, well, I would say lazy parenting. That comes to a lack of research, because yes, if you're if you have an idea that you only want a Nintendo experience, you're missing a lot of the concept of what the Switch is. Yes, you are getting those Nintendo games, but there are third, there are indies, there are really good budget titles out there that you can research and look look at and take that stuff on the go. You don't have to just, and a lot. I, I think a lot of people just think that if I want the big experience, I have to play on the TV, and it's not that. It's just like if you're in the airport, if you're in the train, if you at work, and you want that 15 minute experience, you know, while cooking your food or waiting for Susan to get done with her cooking her lunch, you can hop off the switch and play and make some progress in the game, and then put it down. And it would, sure. la- it, it would last you for a long time. You don't need uh, internet connection. You don't need uh, a new patch or anything taking up on taking up your space. There's more to offer. So if you if you're thinking one way about about the switch and not outside of the other things that's coming out to it, you kind of miss why people purchase the switch and why it's become their favorite console and people love it like i said people laughed at what nintendo was doing but then they got it and they see what the benefits came with it so even so even though you may feel like the switch is not for you and i can't sell sell you on the switch it will be up to you on whenever or if you ever decide to get one there's so much. Yeah. There's so much to uh, to it to offer. That yes, Nintendo first party is phenomenal on that system, but a lot of people who do indies and a lot of people who do uh, who don't have a budget, but have enough money to get a Switch and a micro SD card and buy a lot of digital games to put on there. There's a lot of stuff to offer, especially if you are an arcade junkie, a co- uh, a collection junkie. Um, indies, second party, weird Japanese games, uh, visual novels, FMV. Like, Switch has a whole. Switch and some of the developers and publishers offer more variety than what the other companies offer. Even PC have put some stuff on there. And if you are a big PC player and you don't feel like carrying your laptop or your your ipad or something you carry your switch work on it and then once you get connected online cross uh cross progress your uh save or what you did and play it back on your pc like there's a lot of things that switch does but if you don't go out and kind of explore it and look at it from the outside that it offers more you may not understand why this system is a lot of people's favorites in a sense. So for this topic, I will say that the industry needs Nintendo, but I disagree that they need it for business. I disagree because I do think they are very frugal. I think that I, I, I stand by. 
Because if I was to say, what console do you give someone who has no video games, I would go with Xbox and get Game Pass. Because you have all these games right there and then. And you're good to go. And Nintendo Switch, like, I remember those days being poor and asking, like, for, like, before Greatest Hits or whatever, before games became more cheaper, Mm -hmm. back when they came to disc, like, every game was a fucking fight. Every game. And, like, the big Nintendo games... Their investment, they're $60. And for business, that's fine. That's great. That's wonderful. But they l- rarely go down in price. Um, so I don't know. That always rubs me the wrong way by Nintendo. And I think but it makes sense business. They have a good strategy. It's fucking whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to fucking pay $60 for fucking, I don't know, Wii Sports Club remastered. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but but then. Doesn't leave your mind that yeah you grumble, but then you start playing it every day, or you start playing it week by week, and you just be like, that sixty dollar idea thought goes away, and just be like, I'm hooked. As somebody who did not like Luigi's Mansion Three, <laughs> I'll say so. Yeah, it's 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 whatever. But I think yeah, that that's that's how we can end that topic. <laughs> well, let's get into the the big finale. Uh, cause <laughs> you have some words for this one. People need E3. Um, this is the last topic. Uh, we love predictions. We love reactions and grading. It provides content makers the most views, and we will be bored for the summer without it. Do you or do you not agree? Um, or what? What do you have to say about people needing E3? So I actually don't have that much to say about E3, but I but I I'm, I'm finding interesting, right? Because we are at a crossroads where we may be in a reality where we don't have it. Um, does do people do people need E3? I think people would. I would be. I truly believe all these people who this who are who are happy that E3 is dying mm-hmm. would miss E3 in terms of the spectacle and like the new cycle of it. Um, I think I think people. I think as a games enthusiast, I think we need a big thing somewhere in the summer. As consumers, unfortunately, you know, we love spending money on video games. I think we need a thing. And if we're talking about business, the business needs a thing where we can get the audience excited about the product uh, that is video games and all these video games and get them very excited. And that's maybe a very cynical way to look at it, but there is a part of me, no matter how much critical distance I take, how much, like, Jared Green is just full-on cynical and whatever. <laughs> but, like, I like being excited about video games. Uh, like, I like, and, you know, sometimes it, often it doesn't leave up to the hype. But, um, I'd be very bummed if there was no uh, thing in the middle of the summer uh, between the beginning of the year and the end of the year where we talk, we have all this big stuff about video games. Um, I think, I think the industry though, for sure needs an, an E3 because so much business deals get done at E3. Like that's the thing that sucks about where we are right now, that a lot of indie games, a lot of games are not going to get published now or be put out like around launch time for these new consoles. Because these deals aren't getting made, a lot of like indie Nintendo games are not getting going to get those deals now because they're not they're, those deals aren't happening anymore, uh, and so that's gonna, that's a damn shame because we need an E three, we need a physical space. There's GDC, right? Obviously GDC and GDC. Yeah. I'm not a developer myself, and I've never been to GDC, 
uh, yet. So I don't know how much is it, is it if those deals get made at the beginning of the year as opposed to the middle of the year. I'm not a businessman. I don't know why E3 is the place where a lot of deals get made, GDC, but it is. GDC, GDC E3 kind of are places that get deals because, you know, um, the way that Nintendo, uh, how we found out that, you know, Nintendo, some of the people went to GDC to showcase Unity and how to get Unity to work on their systems and those kind of business deals and stuff with some indie developers. We kind of find about, learn about that. Um, as for E3, it's more of, you know, showing the game off. And I think the business deals is really kind of with, are we going to, as gamers, are we going to get that game or look forward to that game and pre-order it? Or is, is it like, is it something that the first party companies didn't know of? And they seen it and be like, okay, let's come up with a deal. If you guys, if this is time exclusive or you guys release it on that platform, can you release it on this platform within this month and stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, E3, like, do people need, yes, I think we need, as, I think as game enthusiasts, we need an E3 because, um, you know, we just like video games and we love hearing more about video games. So I think we really do need it. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 weird. And like Sony is obviously trying to make state of play happen, but mm-hmm. it's just it hasn't worked out mainly because I feel like they should have. It's weird. They shouldn't have introduced this project until they were ready to. Because the these projects only work if you've instilled the instilled into the audience what they can expect that it's going to be a big deal. Nintendo has successfully done that with Nintendo Direct. Um, and so he has not. And so until they get their act together and like make a digital showcase that has the gusto of an E3. And right now it's hard to do that, obviously. Like it's Phil Spencer recording from his living room because he has to. Um, then I don't think we can like, yeah, it's gonna be a while, and so I I think it'll be weird ha- not having that one center where one like you mentioned, like it gets so much traffic from game sites, yes. um, and, and having that place where we can't all have that discussion, it'll be a shame, um, and that's a weird take I think for me to have, but I think I would be again I would be very bummed. So again, like this summer is like, well, I guess people will have digital things, and we'll see how that goes. It's gonna be awkward. It's gonna be weird, but. You know, and, you know it's... and it doesn't stop people from getting together, setting up and recording like reactions and watching it. Uh, it's more like we want to predict what are they actually going to show? Because the fun thing is predictions. You know, we don't we really don't care for or not care for. We really don't like leaks or anything, but we would love to make wild predictions because whether they come true or not, anything could happen. And it would be like, I, I didn't know. And you get, there's something emotional that you feel that the wildest prediction that you made actually came true. Mm-hmm. In, in a sense. Like, because, like, what do we, what are we supposed to talk about throughout the summer? And, you know, wow. E3 mm-hmm. kind of lasts for a while when you start breaking things down and everything. And if it's just that one little section and barely any big releases of games through the summer what is there to talk about in the gaming sphere besides probably 
picking up some summer games for cheap or a back some or working on your backlog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the realization I'm slowly coming to now. So it'll be weird. Um, so yeah, I think people, I think the games industry, I think everything, every part of the games industry needs E3. Unfortunately, uh, like it, hey, I, I like I think E3 needed to die. Maybe something better can come out of it. Uh, something that doesn't charge so much money, that isn't relying on so much money from these companies and from everyone else, and is so uninclusive. Uh, maybe we can build something new and better. But uh, I am going to miss having that summer thing because I don't know. Fucking, I don't know what we're doing now. I guess we're watching live streams. Hopefully they're fun. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, and there is Gamescom at Tokyo uh, Game Show. Um, <laughs> because the thing, I, I think I was t- talking to the Nintendo Guru about this or I mentioned it to him. I was just like, it's really funny that everybody was happy that E3 won't be happening this year. And PAX is the thing. But nothing from PAX was being shown. You can't really see the conferences or their talks. Really, there was no one doing media coverage or, like, showing off what they played at PAX. Like, no one was doing anything at PAX to deliver the stuff that they would do at E3. So, if PAX is supposed to be this big thing, when are we going to see it? I think PAX has to, like, decide they want to be that, right? Like, they have to set that up. Because, yeah, there's conference rooms and, like, people announce Borderlands 3. But, like, it's still a small conference room. And PAX is still, like, they're not trying to be the big mecca of e- that E3 is. So it would have to be on the Penny Arcade Expo. And we'll see how they survive. Because that company, Reed, uh, who also owns US Gamer and uh, I think Eurogamer as well, like, their whole business is shows. Uh, and they're not gonna. I don't think Pax West is happening this year, unfortunately. Um, outside IP, we're hoping to go to E3 this year for the first time ever. That's not happening anymore, uh, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I think if, if Pax wants to be that, they have to step up and like work with publishers and show prove to them that this could be the place where you have your big show off game thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but I think people do need E3. It is what it is. I think. Well, everybody, that is going to be the show. Thank you, George. Do you have anything that you want to say that who needs who? Did you have anything? To plug, yes. Uh, obviously, irrationalpassions.com. Yeah. Um, we have a bunch of articles. I think they're well thought out, well written, uh, and podcasts. We even have spoken versions of our articles. Uh, from me recently, uh, oh, actually from Jared Green. Jared Green's been on a tear recently. He has covered the heck out of Doom Eternal. Which is a game I have very complicated feelings about. Um, uh, we have a, a, a wonderful written feature on treachery and beatdown city. Uh, I recently played a Disaster Report Four, which is this very bizarre Japanese uh, import game uh, where you're surviving an earthquake in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to make sure that when I say bizarre, I'm not just saying like, "Oh, it's Japanese," because that's that's close-minded. I mean, like, it is bizarre because it's it is, feels like a B-tier PS2 game that you don't see anymore nowadays. Like, it's low budget. We, we placed like, that, it got... We placed that under the name as Wacky. Like, it's, like, it, it got imported. Like, wow, this is so strange. Like, um... But, yeah, RationalPassions.com. Uh, check it out. 
you can follow me at jcruzelvers26 for my Twitter takes as well. Oh, thank you. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at that virtual code. You can check more of Optional Opinion on SoundCloud and other podcast apps. Thank you, George, for coming on the show, having this thank discussion. You. Uh, and everybody, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Whenever you hear this, be safe. Let's play video games and be better to one another. And with that, everybody, we will see you next time on Optional Opinion. Bye, everybody. All right.